In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Give me one second. Like a good Episcopalian, I'm juggling about five books up here. Let's see. So this week we are talking about John the Baptist. And I had the privilege of sharing this morning uh, in our, our family or outdoor or sometimes indoor or wherever it ends up being, chapel at nine. And um, uh, I was looking through our children's book and I just, I just loved this picture of John the Baptist. A couple weeks ago, I made the camera chase me with a coin. So if, if y'all do want to zoom in with this, I will stand still for a second. <laughs> but here is John kind of wild haired and wild bearded and uh, eating what appears to be a locust or a, or a grasshopper. I love John, uh, and I always have loved John since I was a young boy, because for me, John was different than almost anyone else in the scriptures. Uh, John's story is, is set apart in some way. And the interesting thing is, this morning we read about John in the Gospel of Mark. Now Mark is the earliest of the Gospels. The other Gospel accounts don't happen for another 30 to 90 years. And so the story that we get in Mark is probably the closest uh, to the actual truth, to, uh, to some historical telling of what John's life was actually like. But if that is true, uh, John's story in Mark is so sparse. There is only two mentions of him. There is here in the very beginning verses of chapter 1, where John is proclaimed to be the messenger that Isaiah talked about, and the one who would baptize Jesus. And then later in the gospel, almost at the very end, John's death is described. Now, if we look at the other gospel accounts, we get a little bit of the story filled in. In Matthew, we learn another detail. John is critical of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Do y'all remember that song, uh, I Don't Want to Be a Pharisee? <laughs> Do y'all know this? I Don't Want to Be a Pharisee. They're not fair, you see. You know, you always put the little, uh, like you're crying when you say it. But, but these were people that John, at least in Matthew's gospel, was critical of. So he was critical of the religious elite of his day. So this is something else that we know about John the Baptist. And then in Luke, we get maybe the most detail that we get. In Luke, we get a pre-birth story of John, because John's mother, Elizabeth, is a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so John and Jesus are both uh, being carried in the womb at roughly the same time. And there is a moment where Mary and Elizabeth come together, and John leaps in the womb, acknowledging and affirming who Jesus was and would become in this moment. The only other story we get of John is later in the Gospel of Luke, where John is imprisoned before his death. And like a human, regular person, he begins to wonder if Jesus actually is the one. And he wonders this because now he is imprisoned. And he knows he will likely face certain death at some point. And so he is taking stock or account of his life, and he wants to know if he has made the right decision. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Are you the one that we have been waiting for, or should we wait for another? And I love that passage because Jesus, to some extent, gives John his resume and assures him, Yes, I am the one. But even if we synthesize all of these passages and these stories, we don't know much about John. We just know that he lived out in the wilderness. And 
in the particular account that we've read this morning, it says that he appeared there. I love Mark. Everything happens suddenly or immediately. In fact, the word immediately happens 41 times. It's only repeated 59 times in the entirety of Scripture, and 41 of them are in Mark. So everything happens suddenly. And John appears in the wilderness, and there is really no backstory or origin story. There is just this moment, this fully formed wilderness man crying out to prepare the way for the Lord. But I can't help but wonder as I read this passage or these passages what John's larger story is like. Because the truth is, is he didn't just appear in the wilderness. There was some story leading up to this moment. And I can't help but wonder what it was like for him. Maybe he started a couple of day trips out to the wilderness. Maybe he prepared a little tent and spent some weekend trips there before he really committed to being there all of the time. Maybe he packed a lunch in his mother's kitchen and sat there with her and talked to her before he would go out. Maybe the first few weeks or months or even years that he was there, maybe he wore normal clothes and he did not yet go to camel's hair and a leather belt. Who knows what actually happened? And I can tell you as a person who left behind the tradition that I came from, that sometimes even if you're doing a good thing, it's difficult for your family and for your friends to watch you leave behind what is, for them, normal. And so I wonder if John's neighbors talked a little bit about what John was doing. I wonder if the other people that he maybe went to school with talked about how he was following a different path. I wonder if his parents celebrated him but privately felt disappointed or worried that he was going down the wrong path. This wasn't the normal thing for kids in the village to do, to go out and to spend their time in the wilderness baptizing people. Again, as the modern audience, sometimes we miss that baptism wasn't really a thing yet. There was ritual cleansing in the temple, but Jesus had not yet died. So baptism for us holds a different meaning than it would have held for John and for the people who were coming from all over to be baptized. And so John's story is strange and wonderful, and I love it, and I loved it as a child, but I continue to love it as an adult for different reasons. Because when I was a kid, I loved it that he wore strange clothes and ate strange food, and it was a little bit gross. But as an adult, John's story gives me and us permission to follow God in a radical, radical way. The first thing that John's story does is it gives us permission to leave the beaten path. Listen, whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God is calling us to do as a church, it may not look like anything that's ever happened before. And we need to hear this because uh, generations change and times change and the calling of God shifts and moves with time because we want to be able to answer the need of the world today and not one from a hundred or two hundred or a thousand years ago. John's story gives us permission to move away from the center, to move away from the path that everyone else in the world is taking, to go out to the margins and to be there preparing the way of the kingdom of God and for the Messiah. John gives us permission to be pioneers, to be brave, to be bold. Along with that, John gives us permission to give up the idea that we are the star of whatever story that we are living in. 
Sometimes we buy into the idea of our culture that we are all princes and princesses, kings and queens. And it's not to say that we're not important, but we are not the star of any story. This story is bigger than the one that we are living. It is shared by all of us. And the truth is, is that we are called into this wonderful and wild life to share a story that is about relationship with God and with other people, which means we are all important equally so. And John's life was not about himself or building a life for himself, but it was about preparing the way for someone else who he knew, who he knew was more important to the larger story in some way. In some way, he became a servant, not only to the Messiah, but to the whole world. Because John went out to the margins, not by himself, not to stay there in isolation. I don't believe we are ever called to isolation. But John was called out to the wilderness, to the margins, to invite others to come and to meet him there. I think that's maybe the truth of the gospel message this morning, is that sometimes we are supposed to leave the beaten path, but we're not supposed to go out as lone rangers by ourselves. But we're supposed to invite other people into this miraculous, wonderful, loving, hospitable calling that God has placed on each of our lives. And the last thing that John gives us permission to do, maybe more, but in my own realizations this week, John's story gives us permission to realize that the work and calling of God is just too big for any one life. There are people who carried the calling of God long before you or I were ever born. And they have done marvelous work. And we now stand on their shoulders because they have given of themselves selflessly. They have done the work, but they did not finish it. And now they have passed it along to us. And that's true just here at Reconciliation, but it is true in the larger story of the world. There are so many people who have gone before us and paved a way off the beaten path. And now they have given it to us, and it is our turn to do the work. But we will not finish it. We will pass it along. This morning, again, I was at uh, a family chapel with so many young children looking into the eyes of those who will do the work after my time is over. And I feel proud about that. We have all been called into this great work, this great cleanup of the world, but it is not ours to possess. It is ours to work and to till and then to pass along to someone else who will come alongside of us and then go on beyond us. And so this morning on Advent 2, we can find solace and comfort and calling in the fact that we are not called to be a carbon copy of anyone else. We are not called to be the star of the show, and we are not called to be a lone ranger. But we are called, like John was called, to radical, radical obedience, to go out to the margins, to invite other people there, to disrupt the status quo, and to love every single person we meet by inviting them to be there with us. Amen.